This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Beloved, in the maturity of a believer, as they grow, they ought to be able to grow in peace, grow in that knowledge that, you know what, this world is messed up. There's just no doubt about this world is messed up. And as long as we're in this world, there's going to be stuff that comes against us. But even in this world, we can have peace. Even in the limitations of our flesh, we can have peace. Even in the failings of our flesh, we can have peace. In our message today, we'll be reminded that we live in a fallen world. We live in a time when good is called evil and evil is called good. Everyone lives according to their own fleshly understanding and no one regards the ways of God. But as believers, even in the midst of all this chaos, we can have peace. We can have true joy. These are things that can only come from having a relationship with the Creator. They can only come from being born again. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 14, with part one of our message entitled, A Building for God. This whole series in Ephesians, I've pretty well titled uh, An Ancient Message for Today's Church, because as we look through this, though it was written 2,000 years ago or so, the reality of the message, just like the entirety of the Word of God, uh, touches our hearts and our lives today. Paul was writing to a real, a true church, a, a group of people not unlike you and I. They were dealing with issues in their lives, not unlike you and I. And as we look through, particularly this portion of passage here in Ephesians, understand that as a church, the message, though it was written to the church of Ephesus, it's also written to the church of Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, okay? And so we're going to receive it that way. This morning, we're looking particularly at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 22. And I'm looking at this as actually a building for God. We are a building that's being built for God. And we're going to look at that this morning as we go through these passages in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Again, we've been going through this passage in Ephesians. Hopefully you've been able to keep up with us in this study. They are available on the Internet so that you could uh, kind of keep track with us. But this morning, without going backwards any, we're going to begin right in verse 14. For he himself, Paul writes, and he's speaking of Jesus Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, and thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Verse 17, And he came and he he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit through the Father. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit." 
a portion of this we've looked at in the past. And if we would just look again at verse 14, he says, He himself is our peace, who's made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. We spoke of those things just last week. We spoke of that wall of separation that, that divided. It divided the Jew from everyone who wasn't a Jew. And remember, we spoke about the fact that for the Jew, there's only two types of people. There's the Jew and then there's everybody else. And so for them, there was this great dividing wall that, that kept them from, again, being a part or even evangelizing the others. But there was an, also a great dividing wall that divided humanity from God, and that was the sin of our life, our unrighteousness dividing or separating us from the righteousness and the holiness of God. At the core of that division, really on both sides, the very makeup of the wall that was separating us was the law. And the law that condemned and the law that separated. To the Gentile, the, the law was a foreign concept. It was never really a part of their life. They were pagan by nature. Again, heathens that had no part or portion in the promises or in the covenants or anything that God had given Israel. For them, it was a foreign concept, and yet at the same time, the law condemned them because they were separate from that. For the Jew, however, the law was something they cherished. It was something that they honored, held in, in great esteem. And yet that same law that they honored and they cherished still condemned them because even they couldn't live up to its standards. And yet Christ came. And as Christ came in his life, he honored, he upheld, he lived out the law in perfect obedience to the Father in every aspect, in every way. And when we look at it, having been found obedient to the law in every aspect, yet he was punished as a lawbreaker. The one who was obedient suffered, again, the consequences of being a lawbreaker, taking upon himself the punishment of all of humanity, Jew and Gentile alike. Now believing Jews and believing Gentiles, now we have our same standing with and before God. It's what's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. That imputed righteousness is what Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, when he says, for he, speaking of God, made him, speaking of Christ, for God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the very righteousness of Christ ourselves. You see, the sin of the sinner was imputed or laid upon or accounted on Christ, while the righteousness of Christ is then imputed or accounted to the believer, the one who comes by faith to receive that gift of salvation. Christ was obedient to the law, and he was accounted as a lawbreaker. But I've broken the law, and yet through faith, I've been accounted as righteous. Beloved, what a glorious condition that is. What a great promise that is that you and I as lawbreakers, that through faith, we can receive the very righteousness of Christ. And none of us deserve that. None of us. It's not owed to any of us. What's owed to us is the punishment of being a lawbreaker. But by faith, we come to receive the completed work of Christ. His righteousness is now ours. So now we go back to Ephesians 2, and Paul goes on speaking of Jesus, 
Again, Jesus who, in verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. When Paul there, in verse 15, uses the word that we translate as abolished, He's using a word that literally means to make null and to make void, or to bring to no effect. One writer has said that this word is translated so many different ways, but in the main meaning is to make something useless, to make it null and void, to make it inoperative and powerless. But listen to this. He also emphasizes the fact that this word does not necessarily make it non-existent, or destroyed. So he abolished it, but he didn't make it non-existent or destroyed. We'll look at that in a moment. Another word that Paul uses there in verse 15, Paul speaks of enmity. And it, once again, he, he uses a Greek word, ekthran. Ekthran has this idea of hostility or hatred that again is there. It's that division that's there. Well, it comes from another Greek word that's ekthros. And ekthros carries with it an even deeper meaning. Ekthros has this idea of an enemy or a foe. It speaks of an adversary, again, in the noun form of it. And who is our adversary but Satan himself? That's the intensity of this word. It also has, as the other one, hateful or hostile against us. So what is it that the death of Christ is made inoperative and powerless, but not necessarily non-existent? Or destroyed? What was it that was enmity or an enemy and hatred and an adversary literally to us? Beloved, it was the law. The law that was placed there as the standard that no man could keep. Yet God gave that law in order that we might see His holiness and our sinfulness. The law was placed there in order that we might see that God has a standard that no man can keep. Therefore, why the sacrifices? Therefore, why the offerings before this God? Because in our life there was no way that we could live up to the law. He was telling us that Jesus has totally eliminated the death sentence that was against us all due to the law of commandments that were contained in the ordinances, the Old Testament law. And yet he didn't do away with or abolish the law itself. Remember, Jesus says, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it in every aspect. So the law still remains. The law still declares that we are sinners in great need of a Savior. The law still declares that our God is a great and a holy and a righteous God, and we are not. And therefore, there's something that needs to span that space between us. So the law remains declaring the greatness of our need for this Savior. The law is necessary to help us to be able to recognize our sin, to help us to be able to recognize our need for the Savior. The law itself is good, even though for us it's death, but yet it's good. Christ came, he fulfilled the law, and then took the punishment of our inability to fulfill the law upon himself. In other words, by the death of Christ, 
The payment of our sin has been atoned for. The debt of our transgression has been paid. The wall of separation is no longer of any effect in our lives. He did all of that as the plan of God. That's why in verse 16 we read that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death that enmity. He did away with the hostility of the law. The law is no longer over us. The law is no longer that impeding thing that that brings death. He did away with the enmity of the law. And he came and he preached peace to you, the Gentiles, those who were afar off, and to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have that access by one Spirit to the Father. Christ has now become our peace. Peace between Jew and Gentile and peace between man and God. He's removed the hostility. He's removed the division. He's removed that separation. In a world that has no peace through faith in Christ, we're given peace. You and I as believers... The peace of Christ needs to be reigning and ruling in our hearts and lives. The fact is that there are so many believers, unfortunately, that walk through the entire existence without that peace, without that assurance, without that knowledge of their place in the heavenlies with Christ, without the knowledge and the assurance that, man, the hostility has been done away with. He's abolished that. He now brings us peace. And beloved, in the maturity of a believer, as they grow, they ought to be able to grow in peace, grow in that knowledge that, you know what, this world is messed up. There's just no doubt about this world is messed up. And as long as we're in this world, there's going to be stuff that comes against us. But even in this world, we can have peace. Even in the limitations of our flesh, we can have peace. Even in the failings of our flesh, we can have peace. The process of these things, God had reached out. He's reached out to all, both near and and far. Those under the Old Testament covenant as well as those that were separated from it, drawing us all near. And beloved, this is the mystery of the gospel. Jew and Gentile that's been called together. And we're called together as one body. We're called together as one entity. Beloved, we are called together as the church. That's who we are. We are the church. We here in this building are only a small little microcosm of the reality and the truth of the whole church. I've shared with you multiple times that there is this this great universal church. There is that that is the church visible. The church visible is the ones that come through the church doors every weekend of of churches all throughout not only our nation but around the world. They just simply come through, and that is the church visible. But there is truly a difference between the church visible and the true church. You see, the true church are those who have come by faith to receive that gift of salvation that's come through Christ. The visible church or any of those that come and perhaps they've even joined, perhaps they're even working, perhaps they're even a a part of ministries, but they've never come by faith to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. It's only at that point in time that we become a part of the true church. 
Before we get too far in, in this passage, I want to take another look, real quick look at verse 18, where he says in verse 18, For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. It's in the midst of God's call that we see the, the beauty and the reality and the inner workings and the harmony of the Trinity of God. He says, through Him. Who is the Him that He speaks of here? It's God the Son, Jesus Christ. Through Him, through Jesus Christ. He says we have access by one Spirit. Who is the Spirit that He speaks of? It's God the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, He says we have access to the Father. Who is the Father? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, all three working together as one to bring peace, to bring salvation to those who would believe. All three working together as one to bring us into that right relationship with the one true God. All three of them working together as one to bring us into the household of faith. That's why Paul can continue. He says in verse 19, that's why now therefore it's because of this. That you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners, you're now fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God. And you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Paul uses the metaphor of building, and you and I, as we come to faith by Christ, we become a part of this glorious building. Not a building that's made with brick and mortar and stone and, and wood. We're built by God, under God, for His glory. And like every building, we need a strong foundation. And Paul here is telling us that the household of faith, this building that you and I are a part of, this household of faith is built on the foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets. What exactly does he mean by the foundation of the apostles and the prophets? Well, we can get a clue when we look at the activity of the early church. The early church we read about in the early chapters of Acts, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says of the early church that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The apostles' doctrine, the the apostles' teaching, that was the very beginning of the foundation of the church. It was through their understanding of the message of Christ and the fulfillment of all the prophetic messages that they had heard that established the early church. Now, the prophets that he speaks of here, most certainly he's referring also to those who moved in those offices in the early stages of the church. However, I think that the teaching of the apostles and even those New Testament prophets, they use the Old Testament prophets and prophecies and the scriptures in their presentation of the very hope of the gospel. Being able to look, this is what the prophets of old have said about who Jesus is. That was, again, the scripture that they use on a continual basis. That's why Philip, as he shared the message of Jesus Christ with that Ethiopian eunuch, what did he preach from? He preached from the book of Isaiah, and he led him to Christ by preaching from the book of Isaiah. Interesting thing. Would you be able to share Christ with someone by saying only in the Old Testament? What a beautiful way to witness to someone who has a Jewish heritage, to simply remain in the Old Testament and say, this is what and who Christ is, and this is what he's done for you. Throughout all the letters, uh, Paul and Peter and James and John, the writer of Hebrews, they are 
filled with Old Testament quotes. Jesus himself, as he taught through the Gospels, continually quoted the Old Testament. Beloved, that's the foundation of the church, and it saddens my heart when I hear of believers who say, well, I don't really need the Old Testament. You see, I'm just a New Testament believer. Then you don't have a very good foundation under you. Because you see, it's the Old Testament that gives us the foundation of understanding the New Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, we find the teachings or the doctrine of the New Testament. Though not in their complete fashion, they're kind of a pre-type. In the New Testament, we find those teachings of the Old Testament then in their completed version. That's why I love the little phrase or the little saying that says that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed while the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Both of them go together. We don't have half a book with us. We need the whole thing. I believe it's necessary for our understanding of what God is working and doing in our lives. The teachings of the apostles was the teaching of the prophets. That's also why it's so important for all of us to have that understanding of the Old Testament in order that we might understand the new better and clearer. The teachings of the apostles and the prophets, the very foundation of the church. There's an old hymn that says, Oh, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word, the foundation of our faith. Then beyond that, Paul speaks of the cornerstone or the foundation, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. The concept of the cornerstone comes from the idea of ancient building practices where they would set the cornerstone first. And once the cornerstone is set and situated in the exact place that it needed to be, everything else in the entire building would have to line up with that cornerstone. And in our lives, Christ is our cornerstone, and as our lives continue to grow, as the church continues to grow, it needs to be lined up perfectly with Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. That's why the psalmist declared, even as Robert read earlier in Psalm 118, he says, the stone which the builders rejected, it's become our chief cornerstone. He is our chief cornerstone. It's that same verse from Psalm 118 that's quoted throughout the New Testament speaking of Jesus as that cornerstone. It's that same verse that Peter uses in Acts chapter 4, again, as he's debating with the Jewish leadership. And he says that that stone which was rejected by you builders, pointing to those Jewish leaders, he says that stone that was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And then in verse 12, he says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ, the only cornerstone. With Jesus as the cornerstone, the apostles and the prophets and their teachings laid as the foundation, we continue to build a building unto the Lord. And as Paul says here in Ephesians 2, verse 21, he says, In whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Beloved, we are built together. We are built together with the amount of diversity even that's within this room. 
God is building us together as part of that building. We're just one little room, one little section in this whole massive building that God is building. But yet he takes the diversity of each one of us and puts them together as that household of faith. He takes us, who we are, where we've come from, as he works and changes us, and he builds us as that holy temple in the Lord. He works and moves in all of us to become that dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And you know what? Each one of you, each one of us, are necessary in that structure. There's not a one of us that can say, you know what, I'm not very important. I don't have much talent. I don't have much abilities. I don't have much resources. I'm not really important in the body of Christ. But, beloved, you are. Every one of you are. Otherwise, why would God have called you into his building? Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to TheOpenWord.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through God's Word. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.